it bit me in the butt multiple times and it added like at least six to eight hours worth of work on something that I could have avoided. And we're talking about 24 square feet. So you can imagine like if you have 150, 200 square feet, if you don't plan how much extra work that's going to cause you. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman. Imagine you're building an off-grid tiny house and you're trying to figure out your solar setup. You're going to need panels, batteries, and a charge controller at a minimum. But how big should your system be? You might be inclined to head online to find a solar energy calculator to size your system and figure out your needs. But after you listen to this interview with former Tesla lead solar installer Michael Garofalo, you might think twice about just jumping to an online calculator. Mike will show us how to do these calculations ourselves to make sure we wind up with the correct results. Plus, learn about the rest of the parts and pieces you'll need in your tiny house solar array. Stick around. It's going to be a great show. All right, welcome. My guest today is Mike Garofalo, a former Tesla lead solar installer and electrician. Mike has been living the van life in his custom-converted Nissan NV200 since 2015. Mike believes life is like milk. Both have an expiration date. When the time comes, he wants his carton to be empty, leaving nothing behind. Mike Garofalo, thanks for being here. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, and I love, like, I've been thinking about wanting to have, like, I want to bring on somebody who's knowledgeable about electrical and solar. And then I was in Portland at this conference that was not related to tiny houses. And I kept hearing, like, oh, there's this guy you've got to talk to. Like, he's, you know, there's a tiny house guy. There's a van guy here. And then we finally met, and it turns out you are my solar electrical person. And so it was just so fortuitous. Yeah, it, uh, it was meant to be. I remember our mutual friend, like we met and then like we parted ways and I was having lunch and he's like, oh man, you know that guy Ethan we just met? I'm like, yeah, he's a super cool dude. Why? What's up? He's like, he's a tiny house guy, like the tiny house guy. I'm like, and I like held back from reaching across the table and strangling. I'm like, what are you doing? You know my lifestyle. Come on, just intro- you should have brought that up. We need to go find him. Well, luckily, we, we reconnected, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about your lifestyle and, and how you've been living for the last few years. I'll try to keep this short and sweet, but also entertaining, give like a good background. I was live, I grew up in New Jersey forever, whatever, let's call it uh, 26 years, and I always wanted to live like an outdoor lifestyle and like adventurous lifestyle, and one day I woke up, and I was on a roof, and it was, I was installing solar panels, and it was snowing. And it was New Jersey, and it was cold and wet, and I was, I was like, screw this. So we stopped the job because it was just, like, too bad. And I asked my boss, I'm like, hey, like, and I was expecting, absolutely expecting, like, a complete no, you're out of your mind. I was like, hey, can I, uh, can I transfer to California? And I, I, like, said this jokingly, like, not even a serious manner, like, as I was walking out the door. I was like, yeah, sure. And I, like, stopped walking out the door. I turned around. I'm like, wait what was that a yes and he's like yeah sure and then literally three weeks later i was in a car moving across the country 
my little Camaro packed to the gills. And I moved into a tiny little apartment and I was doing some cool things, but I took like a pay cut to move across the country and LA is super expensive. So I was like, ah, I'm not going back to Jersey. So literally one day I woke up, went to the car dealership, traded in my Camaro, bought this tiny, tiny van. Like we we're talking about like tiny homes. We'll call it like micro, tiny, super small home. Like I bought it and converted it and I moved in and started just like I had all this extra free money and time to roam around and um, saw all sorts of cool things. I mean, when you don't have anywhere to go after work, you can just go and explore. And weekends, I started getting more and more adventurous. And uh, at a certain point, it just became so normal that like, and most people listen, well, maybe not here, but most people, when I tell them this, like, when work would send me places for like a week or two and I would stay like in the super fancy like hotels and like apartments, I would like get this feeling of like emptiness. I'd miss my like 24 square foot van. And when I tell people about it, they're like, you're crazy. But like the like tiny home and like living this way is incredible and it's brought me all sorts of cool, crazy adventures. And yeah, that's that's it in a nutshell. Um how I got to this point where I'm at just moving across the country on a whim didn't want to waste my money and be able to live free just kind of like everyone in this awesome community of aspiring tiny home owners and current homeowners and van life bus life however you want to spin it yeah and I love that that's a theme that I've been hearing a lot that people are attracted to tiny house living usually first because of the finances, and then they totally discover that it's way more than just the finances, or at least the fact that you're saving so much money really just opens up a whole new potential for the way you can live your life. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like, meeting, I wouldn't have met you if I didn't live in a van or tiny mobile home, however you want to say it. Like, I wouldn't have met you because I wouldn't have that money to go to that conference or take the time off and it literally have zero. So pay for the ticket and take the time off and then have like no effect on my ability to pay bills and continue doing stuff like that. I wasn't living like this. So like, yeah, sure. There's some sacrifices, but I mean, once you're in it, it's less of a sacrifice and what you get to see and people you get to meet like you is just like, there's no words or feelings to describe it. It's it's priceless. That's awesome. The feeling is mutual. And I want to get this out of the way because I'm sure you're tired of having people ask you about it. But I'm curious about how you came to work for Tesla. What did you do for them? And what was that like? Um, to be honest, that I don't get that question that often. Uh, they, they ask, well, that's cool. They say like, oh, that's cool. And like, they usually ask about like the cars and the conversation dies, but yeah. So I was actually, uh, planning on going, I got accepted to get my master's degree in electrical engineering and I got my acceptance letter for the company at the time is called solar city. Um, and I got both acceptance letters. I was like in the summer, I was like, all right, I'll work full time. And then when school starts, like I'll do part-time work and go to school and, after the first like two weeks, I was making like 
quote unquote big people money, like real people money. I was like, oh, this is nice. And like we had like an online university. So like everything I wanted to learn by going to school, I was learning and getting paid for. So I was like, you know what? I don't want to go get more debt and sit in an office. I like working with my hands. So stayed with the company and eventually Tesla uh, bought Solar City out. Um, but man, it was it was an incredible near four years. Like I learned so much and I'm so grateful and I was able to travel and um, but yeah, working for them, it, it was you got to see like cutting edge technology, like literally at your fingertips, like all the time. And we got trainings on new things coming out and like online trainings. And then we got sent to different like training facilities and got to learn like super secret stuff that no one knows about. And then like see it like roll out months and months later and get your hands on it. And, uh, it was, that is one job experience portion of my life that I will forever, ever, ever be grateful for. And also because it got me to move across the country. But for that, like I developed this super, super passionate and love desire for the whole solar world and solar panels in general and electricity and being able to like self-contain and seeing just like going to someone's house every day, like a new customer or client every day and being able to see like the happiness on their face and that they're able to like reduce their impact, reduce their bills and kind of like disconnect from the grid a little bit. So I asked my listeners for questions before this interview and I have, I got a whole bunch of questions about Tesla specific products, but I actually want to just start with more general solar. And so um, here's a question that I got that I feel like is a great starting point, And that is, what is the cheapest way to get started with solar? I found three used 150-watt solar panels on Craigslist. Now what? I can't afford a lot to make this work. Oof. That's like saying, uh, I want to buy a car. And then, now what? Um, so that's, I'm going to try to answer this in the most simple way possible. Assuming those... Those three 150-watt panels are enough to power whatever you want to power. Um, and that mounting them has already been taken care of, or you're just laying them out in the lawn or however you may be. Um, the n- next step is to have them be able to operate, like to, to capture that energy. You're going to need a charge controller. And and batteries at the very, very minimum. And then you would only be able to power like 12 volt things. So, um, anything that runs off of 12 volts. So in the purpose of keeping this super simple, uh, you get a charge controller and batteries. Now you can go down a huge rabbit hole, but, um, you need to get a charge controller that's matched to the amount, the size of your panels. So, 150 watt panels probably are roughly eight to 10 amps and you have three of them. And if you do it in series, they, that will say the same. So we'll call it 10 amps. So you probably want to get a charge controller in the range of 15 to 20 amps. And then with that charge controller, get some batteries. You can get 
something as simple as deep cycle batteries from Walmart for uh, 80 bucks a battery um, to all the way up to $1,000 for a lithium. But since we're trying to keep it cheap, you can get these 70 to $90 batteries from Walmart. Um, they're deep. You want to get deep cycle. And what is that? What does deep cycle mean? Okay, so deep cycle is you're able to drain the batteries a little bit more than your typical, uh, we'll call it regular, like cold cranking or like a car battery. Because a car battery is meant to deliver that big force of, or the big jolt of energy to get your car to turn over. Deep cycle is used so you can drain it a little bit more, um, drain it more so you don't have to constantly keep charging it. Uh, the So you're going to see these batteries that have all these different ratings. Um, and what you want to look for is amp hours. Um, so for those, those 80, $80 ones, give or take at Walmart, they're probably going to be a hundred amp hour batteries. Um, but just remember that any rating that you see on batteries that are not lithium ions is usually going to be half. So if you do all your calculations and realize you need, um, say a hundred amp hours, like that's the calculations that you work out from the amount of energy you consume or get from the sun and how long you want to run things. Buying a 100-amp-hour battery isn't going to be sufficient because you only have about 50% of that usable value. So you would need two 100-amp-hour batteries or one 200-amp-hour battery. That is a huge thing that people don't really realize. They do all their calculations and figure it out. They get the right charge controller um, and then they go to buy the batteries and they buy the batteries for, say they need a hundred amp hours, they'll buy a hundred amp hour battery. But the issue is what you see on the sticker is not what you actually get. Um, so yeah, that would be like the quickest breakdown. Um, and as far as the charge controller, like I said, 15 or 20 amp charge controller, um, there's two types of charge controllers. There's P. WN and there's MPPT. The PWN is a little bit more inefficient as far as charging. So if you're just like running some little uh, lights in a shed or whatever, uh, that's you can use a PWN um, charge controller. The one I have is MPPT, and it's more efficient in the way it transfers the energy from the solar down to the batteries, but they are more expensive. But if you're using it for a basic, basic, just some basic lights and maybe a fan, you would only really, you don't need the MPPT. The price difference um, isn't really worth it. But if you're doing something more, like a little bit higher end, like in my van, I have six zones of lighting. I have an outlet. I have a fan uh, and I have a fridge like that. You would want the MPPT charge controller um, just because you need every ounce of energy you need to be as super efficient as possible because otherwise then you're just going to have to buy more batteries to uh, offset the charging inefficiencies which just winds up being more so that's like a basic nutshell i know i kind of like jumped all over the place but it's a very hard question to answer without knowing all the details of what's being powered where do you live what's your sun hours like what panels do you have? What type of batteries do you have? Like, it's a hard question, but hopefully I gave just a broad overview to that question. 
in terms of figuring out, you know, how much power you need, it's like a moving calculation because it all, as you mentioned, it's based on where you live, how much sun you get, how much power you need, like what your appliances are. Is there a particular calculator or tool that you recommend? To be completely honest, when I calculate it and when people ask me, I do most of it in my head or with like a pen and paper, um, like old, totally old school dinosaur. But one of my friends, they have a site there. They live in their van full time. It's called uh, Adventure in a Backpack. They have a great, great solar tutorial, like a video, and they have um, an ebook, like a free ebook that they made just because they were getting so many questions. And I actually just talked to them before just to make sure that I can refer you guys over. If you go to adventureinabackpack.com forward slash solar handbook, they have like a good quick like 12 or 15 page like little ebook that breaks things down and helps you get a little bit better understanding. Two caveats with that. One is that that little handbook is meant for a van. Um, so if if you just take out the things related to the car, so the alternator, uh, I think they have something connected to the alternator and then another thing connected to car battery. If you just omit that, everything else should be pretty good. Um, if you would like, I could explain just so good people have an understanding of how to how those calculators work, if you want me to explain that. Yeah, that, that would be awesome. Um, okay, so those calculators are essentially basic math and once people understand the reason i ask is because once people understand they realize that they don't really need the calculator and the calculator becomes limiting and basic pen and paper like honestly is the best thing you can use so the way you decide like how much sizing the solar system and everything like the core foundation of it starts with obviously the amount of things you're going to use. We'll start with a basic scenario. Say you have a blender, you have some lights, laptop charger, phone charger, and your refrigerator. We'll call it those basic couple things. Everything that you can buy online either has like a power consumption, like a product manual, and it'll give you the power consumption. Or if they're, you know, following the laws and all that stuff, which... Sometimes electronics you buy online are from some deep, dark hole in the corner of the world. They, they don't necessarily always follow this, but there'll be a sticker on it, and it'll give you the power. So say, for example, my phone charger that I'm plugged into right now is 5 watts, and my Nutribullet is 900 watts. So we'll, you'll write all these numbers down. So just write phone charger, 5 watts, uh, Nutribullet. 900 watts uh refrigerator uh mine is 50 watts um laptop charger i think those are like i think my mac one is 50 or 60 watts you write all those numbers down and then you do your best guesstimate on how much you're going to use those things every day so my phone charger an hour um my nutribullet 15 minutes that's a lot of blending yeah that's a lot of blending uh, we'll call it a minute. My fridge kicks on, we'll say, uh, every half hour for a half hour and so on and so forth. So you list out all of these numbers, like how much you're going to use them. 
and then you multiply them by the watts. So say, for example, my phone charger is 5 watts, and I'm going to use it for an hour. So 5 watts times 1 hour is 5 watt hours. Now, say my Nutribullet, say I use it for, just to keep it simple, I use my Nutribullet for half an hour. So my half an hour times 900 watts will equal 450 watt hours. Now remember when you multiply it, you're not multiplying by the minutes, you're multiplying it by a fraction of an hour. So you always want to convert, like, so if it was just one minute, it'd be one sixtieth of an hour times the wattage. Yeah, so you don't want to multiply by minutes, because then you get super crazy numbers, and you'll have to have, like, a solar system the size of New Jersey to power your everyday life. (laughs) So yeah, once you get all those things written down and in form of watt hours... You add them all up. So we'll keep it simple. We'll just do my Nutribullet and my phone charger. So my Nutribullet does 450 watt hours a day and my phone charger 5 watt hours a day. So we're at 455 watt hours for the day. And then you want to see how long you want to be able to like live your life if there was no solar available so or if there was no sun available. So... Say I want to run three days at this rate, so 455 times three, I'm going to want 1,365 watt hours. Then, So now you have a number you can work off of, and then you convert those, those watt hours to amp hours, which is essentially... Yeah, we're making you do public math here. I'm, I'm really impressed so far. So essentially, you get watt hours, and then you find... So we're at 1,300 watt-hours. You want to be able to get a battery bank that can hold 1,300 watt-hours. So you know if you don't have, if your battery bank is fully charged, you have 1,300 watt-hours and you'll be able to go three days without an inkling of sun. That's essentially the, the basics of what these calculators do. And then you'll size your solar system based off of how much sun hours you get in a day. So... Up in Vermont or Maine or whatever, you're going to get much less sun hours. So like during the winter, you're only going to get like four hours of usable sun. So you're going to want a system that absorbs a crap ton of uh, solar during those four hours. Now, that same, my same Nutribullet and phone charger in Southern California, my system could be way smaller because their average sun hours is seven. It could be essentially half the size and accomplish the same task. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's very dependent on how much sun you get. Yes. And again, like we could, I could write, there's been books and I could write books and I could talk for hours, but the biggest thing is going off of your sun hours. So there's all different like government and natural resources pages that give your sun hours for your region of the world you always want to build your system off of the lowest sun so for example i was building out a system for a an island in panama for an off-grid retreat center and during the rainy season they only their average sun hours is about three and a half to four hours wow it blew my mind considering how close it is to the equator but that was the sun usable sun hours. But during the non-rainy seasons, it was like eight or nine hours during the day. But you can't 
build your system off of those eight or nine hours because come rainy season, you're going to be sitting on your island screwed and not have any power or like you're not going to be able to wash your clothes or run, not going to be able to do the dishwasher to handle all the people you have or run the refrigerators or whatever have you. So you always want to build your system on the lowest sun hours during the year. Got it. Cause yeah, in Vermont, I mean, right now during the summer, we have super long days. It gets light at like four thirty in the morning and it's light until after nine. But in the winter, it's like light at eight thirty and dark at four thirty. Yeah. And even though it's light, so you have that span of, we'll call it eight to four. So that's like an eight hour day. But of those eight hours, the sun is in only in an optimal position to get maximum power during four of those hours. So that's why you call it like usable sun hours because you can't, you'll get sun, you'll get power from like say the beginning part of the day when the sun is just rising and the sun is just setting. But I mean, like no matter how big your system is, you're going to be able to charge your cell phone and maybe power some like super low led lights. And that's about it. But the big chunk comes when the sun is in optimal position, which is 90 degrees to your solar panels. That's why you, some of these big solar fields, they'll have their panels adjust their pitch depending on time of day and time of year because the sun is in different positions. So that all plays into it as well. But the simple version is pick the part of the year where you get the least amount of sun hours and build your system off of that. And then in the summer, uh, you're going to need that extra power anyway because you need to run AC and all these other different things. You're going to need that extra power. So you're going to have this massive system for the sun summertime, and you could freaking go bananas and never run out of power. Coming in here, I'm like, all right, I'm going to get to the point where I have to explain that. And hopefully I, I put myself into the rabbit hole of like trying to explain it on the fly. I'm like, I told myself not to do that because no one's going to get it. So yeah, I'll uh, after we get off this this uh, call, I'll uh, I'll check out some resources and just send you some links that just explains it briefly and just so people can do it by pen and paper, which I personally think is better than the calculators because you don't know how those calculators are working behind the scenes. Right, and if it's on pen and paper, you know how you came to that result, and then. I've I don't have solar in my tiny house, but I've I've done those calculators before just to kind of see because I've always I've always thought about it, and it's like you you go through the whole calculation and then you realize oh man I forgot my you know I forgot to add the the water heater onto that, and then it's like does the calculator actually let you go back and add something else? Sometimes they don't because it's just like a web page that you're stepping through, and so that's where I feel like doing it on pen and paper or maybe even making yourself like an Excel, like a spreadsheet that you can you can put the formulas in and then add and modify. It's probably a, a better call. Exactly. And you'll if you need to add or take things away or realize like you hey, you use your blender, you actually use your blender for fifteen minutes a day, twenty minutes a day instead of two or three, like you can easily make that change and understand why as opposed to just trusting, there's plenty of good resources out there, but a personal philosophy of mine is I always want to understand the why and the how, not just here, do this because I said so, or here, do this because this is what someone said. Like, if you understand why, 
then yeah, sure, you can go and do what the calculator says. But even for me, and I un- have a deep understanding of this, some of those calculators make zero sense to me. I cannot figure out how the heck they came up with the numbers that I was getting. So like I said, basics is usually the best. Now, I know that your inverter is what's going to convert that DC power to AC so that you can, you know, for example, plug in that Nutribullet. What I'm curious about is how you recommend approaching wiring a tiny house or van when you've got that mix of DC appliances that can run directly off of the batteries and AC appliances. Would you wire the whole thing for both or would you try to centralize like the DC stuff to one spot? Like that's where I feel like it gets my head starts to spin and be like, well, how would I wire it? Would I just invert everything and then convert it back to DC when I need it? Or like, can you talk a bit about that? That is an incredible question that surprisingly a lot of people have or they don't have the question and they go about it and then they wind up creating too many steps or not enough and they create big inefficiencies in their system when it could have just been avoided. So to answer the question, uh, just like pretty much anything, it all depends, but we'll go with the generic. If you're running DC, like say you want your tiny home to uh, have just USB ports around the house or um, USB ports or like little cigarette lighters around the house just because you have the adapters for it or whatever. You want to have those as close to the battery as you can because DC becomes very inefficient over longer distances. So it there's a voltage drop and I forget what it the what the voltage drop is. Yeah, for every foot you lose X amount and with every different gauge of wire it's all different. So point being is if your electrical system is on one end of the house, you're not going to, I mean, unless you're in a situation where maybe like where your house is like one end of the house is the other is literally an arm's length away. Like unless that's a scenario and you need to power something on the other side, you're going to want it to convert it to AC because AC is way more efficient over larger distances. That being said, um, if you need to, if you truly, truly, truly need to get something as DC and have it on the other side, like way far away, it's probably best to just get it to AC, get it over there, and then flip it back. If I were to personally build like a tiny home, I probably would put everything in AC just for the sole fact to make convenience. But if you wanted to do DC, it's really not that hard. You just attach wires to the batteries and run it off um with ac it's way it's a little bit more complicated than just attaching wires to a battery and then voila there's power so i would plan most of your house as ac unless you have like a need or desire to put the dc like right next to the batteries for whatever reason it's in a perfect spot and all you really need is something for uh, your phone or you have like a little DC fan or, or DC fridge or whatever. Right. So it sounds like with, with, as with many things in a tiny home or a van, good planning 
in terms of your layout is paramount because I could imagine a situation where I've got my battery bank that's right next to where my hot water heater that uses DC and my fridge that uses DC are right there, right next to those batteries. And that would only be achievable through that planning process, not necessarily something that I could just add later. Planning your electrical, just like you said, like every minute detail before you get to the like super fun stuff of like all the convertible furniture and like all the cool lights and switches and hone in on exactly where you want everything to be and plan that out and go over scenario after scenario, sleep on it, come back, sleep on it. Because for me, I was like that antsy, like, Oh, I just want to build like my bed and counters and everything. And then I was like, "Uh Oh, now I have to do electrical. And it bit me in the butt multiple times. And it added at least six to eight hours worth of work on something that I could have avoided. And we're talking about 24 square feet. So you can imagine like if you have 150, 200 square feet, if you don't plan how much extra work that's going to cause you. Thank you so much to Michael Garofalo for being a guest on the show. You can find the show notes and links mentioned in this episode at thetinyhouse.net slash solar. Now I want to make a quick shout out to Katie J from Australia who left the show a review on Apple Podcasts. Katie says, a fantastic resource for ideas, information, and inspiration for all areas of tiny house life, as well as ideas for people who haven't built their tiny houses yet or just want to reduce their environmental impact become more involved in their community, declutter, and more. Interesting topics and passionate people make this a pleasure to listen to. Katie, thank you so much for your review. Do you like what you've heard? Please take a moment to head over to iTunes to rate and review the show. Believe it or not, your reviews are incredibly useful for helping other people find the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast. Go to thetinyhouse.net slash iTunes to be directed straight to Apple Podcasts where you can leave a review of your very own. That's all, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.